Well, I was uh, recently in my home state of Minnesota, where I grew up, and I was there for a conference, but I was also there to see my parents. My mom had just celebrated, or was celebrating, her 70th birthday, and so I got to be there for that. And we got a chance to catch up and reminisce and talk about life and everything that's going on. And, uh, but that's not all we did, because when I go and see my mother, she um, does something uh, inevitably, which is to try and pawn off a bunch of stuff from my childhood that I forgot even existed. This is just part of, someone just said amen. That's so funny. <laughs> Somebody knows what I'm, what I'm experiencing. But I, I so, I, you know, it's, it's anything. It's like pictures or stuffed animals or report cards or you name it. She's trying to give me bags of stuff that I have no desire to own at all. And so this was no different. I, I showed up and she brought me this laundry basket filled with VHS tapes. Now, for those of you who are under 20, a VHS tape is like a prehistoric version of a video file, okay? So, so she gives you these VHS tapes and she says, play them in the VCR, which is like a prehistoric Roku. And, uh, and, and so she's like, go through them. There's a bunch of stuff on here you might want to see. And I'm like, oh my goodness, I don't have time for this. But I entertained her a little bit and I was like, fine, we'll watch one. And I'll be honest, I got into it. I was like, this is hilarious. I was watching like my fourth grade birthday and my eighth grade confirmation and my graduation. I mean, it was fascinating to see that. And then I came across this VHS tape that I forgot existed. And I'll be honest, I started playing it. And I was like, I don't know if I can watch this. This is so embarrassing. I don't know if I can watch it. It was a video of me giving my very first sermon. Yeah, exactly. It was this first year in ministry. I was 21 years old. I was living on the North Shore of Lake Tahoe as a youth pastor and uh, a, a guy attempting to snowboard. And, you know, I was, I was really living the dream at that time. I mean, I was single. I was having a great time in Lake Tahoe, great friends. I was doing ministry. It was, it was awesome. And this video was this message of me giving a uh, very first message I ever gave. And I'm not sure how much time I spent preparing it, but I am sure it was not enough time because <laughs> it was not good. I was living, you know, doing this. I was trying to do my best. I was so green. I didn't know what I was doing. And uh, so do, do you want to see it? Yeah. A little bit of it? Okay. All right, here you go. This is, this is my first sermon. Stands up on this mountain or on this rock preaches to all of these people and converts 3,000 people in one day. That's what a changer of the world is. Jesus says, come, follow me. This is the best part. And you say, okay. okay. <laughs> yeah, you say, okay. Yes, that actually is me. I know it's hard to believe. I look like somebody who just came out of a cabin from like three years, but that was me. And so I'm watching this message, and I'm like, this is so bad. It's so embarrassing. And my mom's like, what are you talking about in this? I'm like, I don't know. I don't remember. And so, but if you take away, you know, the red beard and the hair and the hoop earrings and all that, uh, there's actually something going on that sort of inspired me. I was sort of inspired by it. You see, I, as I listened to the video, I couldn't actually believe what I was saying because, not just because I was a great preacher, but because I realized that what I was saying then is really the same thing I say today. 
Like, and I came, listen, look, listen, listen to this. Listen to what I said. That is what Jesus had in mind when he came to this earth. When God sent his son earth, that's what he had in mind for all of us. Not to just go and to, like, sing cool songs and to listen to me talk, but to change the world. Yeah. Like, I was watching this, and I was like, okay, I was green. I didn't know what I was talking about. But clearly, God was doing something in me, because that is the message of the church. That is the message that we have been bringing for 2,000 years. And I realized that that passion that was in me when I was 21 years old, 17 years ago, is still the passion that exists in me today. That I still believe with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength that Jesus is worth every moment of our lives. He is worth every ounce of energy in our lives. He is worth following with every part of our being because when we do that, the church has the power to change the world. And we've seen that historically. We've seen it all throughout history over the last 2,000 years that this message of Jesus coming to earth, dying for our sins, calling us into community, going and calling us out into the world has literally changed the world, right? It's changed the world. And so during the next five weeks, we are going to spend some time looking at how Genesis fits into that picture. How do we fit into this calling that Jesus has given us, the calling that Jesus gave 2,000 plus years ago? How do we fit into that? And how can we, as a church, collectively go after it with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength? Our goal over the last six months was really simple. As leadership team, key leaders, staff, getting together, praying, thinking your prayers, to really hone in on what is a clear vision of where God wants us to go in the future and who God wants us to be. Now, this is nothing new, right? Again, I mentioned we've been doing this, the church has been doing this for over 2,000 years. And, you know, the church is sort of like a hospital. There's only so much you can do with it, right? Like, hospitals don't have hockey games going on in their buildings because they're a hospital, right? And we're the church. There's only so much you can do with that. But there is a uniqueness to churches, local communities, that oftentimes fits into this overall picture of what God has for us. And so we're going to look at the very first church. We're going to see that very first church, what they did, who they were, what God was calling them to. And it comes in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2. So if you have a Bible, go there. If you don't, you can download the version app, uh, and you can follow along that way. Also, everybody welcome my good friend, Terrell, who's here today. Terrell is an amazing artist and is doing what is called live illustration today. So she is taking my words and putting them into pictures as I say it. Your very best words. Yeah. Thank you. And you say, okay, yeah. She's also probably going to make fun of me on that. And that's okay. I'm all right with that. So uh, I'm just so excited. She's going to be doing it the whole series. So. Let's, let's start in Acts chapter 2, right? And in five verses, what we find is the book of Acts, of Acts defining the uniqueness of this new community called the church. And here's the deal. Ever since those five verses were written, churches have been going back to that for guidance. For thousands of years, churches are like, what does it mean to church, to be the church? And they go back to this passage time and time again. Again, so let's just read it. We're going to start in verse 42. And if you've been around the church for any length of time, you've probably heard this before, but it's a good refresher for us, okay? 
Verse 42, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Now, to this day, pastors, leaders, and experts in the church will often ask the question, what is the church, what is it truly supposed to look like? What is it truly supposed to be? And time and time again, they come back to these verses. This is a snapshot of the community that Jesus came to begin in Acts chapter 2. And so to this day, we are continuing to look at this, to look at this community that changed the world, that literally changed the world. And so as we explored, we being Genesis, our leadership and whatnot, who God wants us to be as a church, well, it's hard not to go back to this model and say, all right, what did, what did the first church do? Who were they? And one of the things that we noticed about them is that they weren't just any community. They were what we refer to as a thriving community. And there is a difference because it's possible to have a community that really doesn't have the kind of life that Jesus intended to bring to them. And so we see this thriving community in Acts chapter 2. And there's some things about them that really define this what it means to be a thriving community. The first is that they are believers. These are people who decided, I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to place my faith in the person and work of Jesus. And so they believe with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. Their whole being is committed to following Jesus. They believe that he lived the life they couldn't live, that he died the death that they deserved for their sins, that he rose again three days later, and because of that, they are now forgiven, have new life here on earth, and the hope of eternal life forever. I mean, these were devoted, the Bible says, people devoted to Jesus. But it's more that, than that. They are uber committed. I mean, these people are committed in a way that I think almost scares us, doesn't it? Like, you see some of the stuff they start doing, you're like, ah, that's, that's different than what I know of church. That's different than what I know of the 21st Ameri century American church. I mean, they're just giving stuff away. They're following Jesus' instructions in a way that we often neglect. They are, they are housing people. They're bringing people in. They're worshiping God every day. I mean, this is a committed community. And if that weren't enough, I think the thing that makes them a thriving community more than anything else is that it says that every day more people, more people are coming into a saving relationship with God through Jesus Christ. That more people are being saved. That's how this passage ends. And I think it ends there intentionally because in the end, that's why we exist. We do not exist for ourselves. We exist for others, and we always have. The number one thing that a thriving church is doing, the number one thing that they are is a church that's reaching people who don't know Jesus. 
If you want to see a church that is on fire, that is thriving, you will see people who were not followers of Jesus become followers of Jesus. It is the defining aspect of what it means to be a thriving community of a church. This is who we want to be. This is our heart's desire as a church. We don't want just another run-of-the-mill community church in, in you know, Phoenix. We want to be a thriving community of believers who are intentional about seeing people who don't know Jesus come into a life-saving relationship with him. We want our church in its own unique way to look like the first church to look like these sort of committed believers who are adding people who were lost, who are searching to their community. Which leads me to the second part of who we want to be. We want to be a thriving community of changed lives. Of changed lives. So what makes this community, this Acts chapter 2 church, is so unique is how their lives have so drastically been changed. Like, this is not normal for people who have not encountered Jesus, right? Most of them were just going through their motions, you know, daily, and they weren't really giving anything to, you know, faith whatsoever, and they certainly weren't following Jesus. And they aren't, keep in mind, these aren't seminary students, right? They're not like the religious moguls who are like, yes, I am going to follow Jesus, and I'm going to do it to the best way possible. That's not who they are. These are blue-collar people, hard-working people, Right? They're, the, they're the, the, the stay-at-home mom and the, the fishermen and the small business owners and the teachers. They're those who are just living their lives in relative obscurity. There's nothing fantastic about any of them. I mean, they're the kind of people that would be in a strip mall next to a smoke shop and a tattoo party. Like, that's, that's the kind of people they were. Like, and that's who we are, right? Let's be honest. We are, we're in a strip mall between a smoke shop and a tattoo parlor. And I love that. I love that. I think that's fantastic because that's exactly who this was when it started. It was organic. It was real. It was authentic. It was nothing shiny or flashy about it. These people had been changed, and they had been changed in a way that the world had never seen before. And because of that, they started doing things that the author of the book of Acts gives them certain adjectives that describe them. He says they were in awe, they were generous, they were joyful, they were devoted, they were worshipful. I mean, these are not people who are just going through life mindlessly. These are people who have been changed by the love and the goodness and the grace of God. This is, these are the things that mark, these are the trademarks of the people of the church. And it was the kind of change that caused thousands of them to even give up their own lives, to allow their own lives to be taken on behalf of what they had found. In one particular case, a man named Stephen is taken before the Jewish religious council. You know, the Jewish uh, religious council was very offended by this new community. It was brewing. It was, it was in contradiction to a lot of what they were teaching, and they were felt threatened. And so they would take many of the leaders, and they would question them, they would, they would actually, you know, sit down and interrogate them to try to get them to understand this is not okay in our eyes. And so Stephen is in this place, he's questioned, he's interrogated, and the, the religious elite despise his response so much that they take him outside and they begin to stone him to death. Now, I've never, you know, 
been stoned. Not that kind of stone. I've never been <laughs> thrown rocks at, right? I've never been thrown rocks at. But like that is that is a place I can imagine in my mind where I'd be like, okay, I'll, I'll give you what you want, right? But Stephen does none of that. In fact, listen to what happens in Acts chapter seven. As Stephen is being stoned, it says, as they stoned him, Stephen prayed, "Lord Jesus, receive my spirit." He fell to his knees shouting, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. And with that, he died. Now, those are the words of a changed person. That is not, those words don't come out of someone's mouth unless they have been changed by the love and power and grace of Jesus. That's the only way that happens. And you see countless others experienced the same in the early years of the church, and yet this thriving community in the midst of all this persecution and questioning, it continues to grow. It continues to expand. And here's why. Because when Jesus changes your life, when you become a part of those that community of changed lives, there's no turning back. There's no going back to the way it used to be. There's only forward with Jesus. The change they experienced was something they were unable and unwilling to give up. It was too much, it was too filled with hope. It was too filled with grace, something we all need more than anything else. And they were unwilling to turn back from it. And they also knew that there was a greater purpose for their changed life. You see, they weren't just a thriving community of changed lives. They were a thriving community of changed lives, changing lives. They were on a mission that Jesus gave them. The Holy Spirit had taken over their lives in such a way that they couldn't help but do anything and everything to see others experience the same change that they had experienced. I mean, even in Acts 2, you see the beginning stages of this, right? We see these changed lives do everything that they can inside and outside of the church to help people know that they are cared for and they are loved, not just by God, but by them. They gave what they could and invited others to be a part of this community, and other people's lives were changed in the process. Now, I've, I've been part of the church all my life, since I was a baby. I've gone to seminary. Uh, I studied some of the books that they gave me. I uh, studied under some brilliant minds, biblical minds. I've read hundreds of books on Christianity and listen to thousands of sermons. And I'm not bragging, but I'm just saying that for all of my reading and studying and listening, there is something that irks me more than anything else about modern Christianity. And it's that we are far too passive. We are way too passive. I mean, I look at the first church, and I'm like, we're not even scratching the surface on what the church could be. Not even close, because we're so passive. I think if Jesus came back right now, you know, just for a short time, and he said to us, one thing, one thing, he would yell to us, do something. Just do something. I have given you everything you need. Now go do something. Stop sitting around, waiting for someone else to do it, hoping that another church down the street will be the ones that actually make that happen, and start doing something. I mean, the first church in the book of Acts, they got after it, 
right? I mean, they, they're in an upper room. Next thing they know, they're on the streets preaching the gospel, right? They're, they're giving away everything they have. They're selling their land. They're helping people know who Jesus is. And I'll be honest with you, I just don't see that as much anymore. I don't see the church in America really getting after it, going and doing what God has called them to do. I think if the first church were down the street, they would make us look absolutely silly. I think we would be embarrassed to even call ourselves a church. And here's why. We have come to believe that a person's life is only changed by Jesus. Now, before you stone me like Stephen, <laughs> Jesus said some things that point to the fact that we actually have an enormous part to play in the changing of a person's life. An enormous part. I mean, let's just start with some of the things Jesus says in John chapter 14. He says, very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. I'm not even going to be there. It's your turn. It's your turn. Whoever believes in me will do the works, and they will do even greater things. Jesus is the initiator of these things, yes, but he is calling us, like I said in that first sermon, to be people who change the world, who, who help to change people's lives, who help to change people's circumstances, who help to change people's eternity. He's calling us to be a part of that. Or Matthew 28, right? Jesus came, and he told his disciples, I have given all authority in heaven and on earth, Therefore, what's the word? Go. go. Do something. That's what I, that's like comedian style Jesus. Do something, right? Go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. And be sure of this, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. I mean, look at the verbs of this. Go, make, baptize, teach. These are words of action. Jesus saying, yes, I am the initiator of changing a person's life, but you have a hand in this. Do not sit idly by and wait for me to just show up because I am present with you. You're it. There is no plan B. The church is it. The process of a person's life being changed has never been separated from the people who have already been changed. And many of you know this because you're sitting here today because somebody took a vested interest in you. At some point in your life, somebody came to you and said, why don't you come to church with me? Well, why don't I help you with that? Why don't you be a part of this? And you said, okay. They were an active part of helping you experience the life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ. Genesis, here's the reality. The church in America is in trouble. It's in trouble whether we want to... Admit it or not, a recent study revealed that close to 75% uh, of churches are in decline right now, which means that in about 50 years, we will only have half of the churches that exist today in America, right? And, and we have, we blame everything for it. You know, we blame the politics, we blame it on technology, we blame it on our culture, sometimes we blame it on moral corruptness, we blame it on the next generation, but you know who I blame it on? Me. Me. This is, this is about us. This has nothing to do with politics or moral corruptness or the next generation. It has to do with us. 
I mean, Jesus is going, yeah, you, this is a great time for the church to be alive. I mean, when you look at the history of the first church, when it started, it exploded in one of the most difficult errors in human history. Think about it. Crucifixion was still a legitimate thing. Like that is, that is an enormously different kind of world that, that they were living in than we are living in. And yet somehow the church exploded. Why? Because they said to themselves, and they took the call of Jesus very seriously and said, we are going to be changed people who help change the lives of other people. We are going to do something about it. So I would like to propose that the decline in the Church of America has nothing to do with politics. Stop. Let's just stop there and say it has nothing to do with that. It has nothing to do with technology or millennials or culture. It has to do with us. It has to do with us. We are far too passive for our own good. And now listen, I know it seems like I'm talking to you, but really I'm just talking with you. Because I admit my own passivity in this. I admit that there are opportunities each and every day that go by that I don't grab hold of and make an important part of what is going on in my life and in the world around me. We're in that together. But here's the great thing. God has got a grace. And despite whatever passivity we may have done or not done, he is calling us again, go, be the people that I've called you to be. Be this thriving community that I've called you to be. Be people who are changed by me and then also allow others to be changed by me. And so this is it. This is it for us, Genesis. We, we cannot sit on the sidelines and wait for God to change our world. That's not how it works. It's not how it works. He, he's looking at us going, I've given you everything you need to go into the world and see it change. We must take the life that has changed us or the changed life that we have and begin to use it in a way that allows others to be changed as well. We cannot sit idly by and simply hope that someone else will do it. We must make a conscious decision to be a community a community of change in our world. I believe that God is poising us for great things, but it only will happen if we collectively decide we are going to do something. We are going to take this changed life that we have and we're gonna go into the world and we're gonna change lives. We're gonna work side by side with, with God to see people's lives change. And so we are committed, ever committed, to becoming a thriving community of changed lives, changing lives. You're going to hear that until you're sick of hearing it. I hope there comes a day when I walk in the lobby and people are mocking me. Oh, there was a day for change lives, change lives. I'll be so happy if you mock me because that means you're getting it. We're getting it. We're going there together. So feel free to mock me about that, not other things, <laughs> just that. And really, this is at the heart of who we've always been, right? I mean, those of you who have been here for a long time, this is at the heart of who we've always been. We, we want our church to be a, a, a breath of fresh air for those who are struggling. We want Genesis to be a place where people whose lives have been changed are doing everything in their power to help others experience the same change. We want to be a place where the brokenhearted, the beat down, the down and out uh, can be changed by the love of Jesus they experience in us and through us. And I'll be honest, in the 17 years I've been a pastor, I don't think I've ever been this excited. 
I've never been this excited to move forward with a church. I look around and I'm totally in awe of what God has done and is doing right here in our midst. And it starts, it starts right now with all of us together. And so during the next four weeks, I'm going to kind of unpack this a little more. We're going to look at what we consider our mission priorities, things that we are going to get after as a church, that we are going to pursue wholeheartedly, that you can be a part of. And we want everyone to be a part of that. You're going to hear more about that in the next four weeks. And as we go through this series, I want all of us to commit to doing two things, okay? Two things, not nine, just two, okay? The first thing is this. Together, I'm inviting all of us to read through and pray through the book of Acts. Okay, which means that each day during this series, we're going to read a chapter in the book of Acts. It's on your, your notes there. You'll be able to find it uh, on Facebook, different places where you can find where we are in that reading. But each day, we're going to read a passage together, okay? And the second thing is this. I want all of us to begin to pray for three people we can start to invite to our church. Three people. You know three people who either have been disenfranchised from the church, who just don't go to church, who could be just absolutely, uh, just it would be an amazing thing for them to be a part of this. They'd be excited. The statistics show that if you simply invite someone to church, the likelihood of them coming is somewhere around 80%. Most people will come if you ask them. They will. Some might say no, but keep asking. They'll come eventually. They'll do it. So I'm asking you to pray for three people, three people in your life who you can start to pray for and, and, and think about how, when can I invite them to be a part of this community, okay? We're going to do it together. It's the only way we can do it. We would never do this on our own. We've got to do it together, and we are going to get after it. We are going to get after it. Let's pray. God, we just thank you for how good and gracious and kind you are. It is with humble hearts that we come to you and we ask, God, that you would change us from the inside out, that you would help us to become the people you've called us to be, that you would give us the opportunity to live the way that you've called us to live, that God, you and your power would cause us to become a thriving community. It looks a lot like Acts chapter 2, a, a community filled with changed lives, people have been changed by the presence of you within the church, and people who are getting after doing something to help other people's lives be changed in the same way. God, I'm so excited to see what you do in and through us. And so we just pray for your grace and your mercy, for your passion in our lives. We pray all this in Jesus' name.